0: The question I'm tackling tonight, does Hebrews 6, 4, and 6 teach you can lose your salvation? So I'm going to go to a few verses real quick um, uh, to to answer this question. I'm going to go to some real quick first to answer this question. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, here we go. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So listen to what he says. He says, those who believe in him will not perish, but have, past perfect tense, eternal life. If it's eternal life, it's eternal. It's not eternal life until, or it's not inter- eternal life as long as, but he says, has eternal life, and they will not perish. doesn't say they might, they will not perish. John 5, 24, I assure you, Anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Notice the the terms he's using, the the definite terms he's using. I assure you, this is a definite, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Security. Security. John 6, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me. You hear that? I shall lose none of those he has given me, but shall raise them up on the last day. They will be resurrected. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's security. It's a a definite. It's not a question about that. John 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, ever. They will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You are in God's grip. You can't loosen that grip. And you can't pry yourself out or walk out either. As some people like to say. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Ephesians 4. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit... You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit. How do you unseal yourself? You are sealed for the day of redemption until the end, until it's over. You ain't going nowhere. First Peter, you are being protected by God's power through faith for his salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Some translations say you are being kept by the power of God. You are being protected by God's power through faith. You are kept by the power of God. The power of God is keeping you. We don't keep ourselves. We are being kept by the power of God. There's no power greater than that, so you can't lose this thing because God has kept you. So I wanted to show you those verses to answer the question, does Hebrews 6 teach that you can lose your salvation? The quick answer is no, it doesn't. And so, but the question is, what does it teach? And so that's what we're going to tackle tonight. Uh, Let me go back to... uh, for it is impossible to renew them, to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened. I'm going to come back to that first part later. It is impossible to renew them to repentance. I'm going to come back to that. For it is impossible to renew repentance to those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, became companions with the, Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, tasted God's good word and the powers of the age, and who have fallen away. Because to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. Okay. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened. What does that mean? What does it mean by enlightened? Enlightened means uh, to give a, First of all, let me, let, me, let me do this first of all. Let me say this. Uh, answer a couple things. First of all, who's the book of Hebrews written to? That's the question I think we, we need to, uh, to address. It was written to three groups of people, I think most people think. Jews who had become Christians, who had followed the Messiah. Um... Professing believers who professed to be uh, believers but were really not. Thirdly, non-believers who were on the fence and trying to decide whether they were going to go with Jesus or go back to the old Old Testament sacrificial system. So, Jews, those two categories of Jews, is who this book was written to. Another question is, uh, what are the different interpretations of these verses? Scholars disagree um, on what these verses mean. So, I mean, they're very difficult, as you can see. And so even scholars disagree, disagree on what's being said in these verses. So some of the interpretations are, first of all, believers who can lose their salvation, like I said. Believers who are immature and have hardened their hearts towards spiritual things and thus brings, God, just bring, brings God's judgment on themselves. These are uh, immature believers who refuse to grow up. They say, saying that's who he's talking to. Thirdly, professed believers who are not really saved. And then fourthly, non-believers who are on the fence concerning Jesus Christ. So you read this book. You have to keep in mind, those are people that are being written to, that are being addressed. Um, those different types of Jews that are being addressed, uh, addressed here. So enlightened. What does it mean to be enlightened? It means to give light to, to make known about the faith. It's an intellectual understanding about the gospel. So enlightened means... To give light to, when, you, when you're made known about the gospel, you've been given light. Um, uh, you've been given light about who God is, who Jesus is, and you were made known about the faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, and it's an intellectual understanding, okay? Um, an enlightenment of the mind does not equal enlightenment in the soul. Because I'm enlightened up here, and I understand what's being said, doesn't mean it's reached here. So you can be enlightened in your mind without it reaching your soul. And so, um, the light here is referring to um, intellectual understanding. He doesn't say that they accepted it or rejected it. He just says they've been enlightened. John chapter 12. Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer, referring to himself. Jesus is known as the light of the world. The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. Verse 37 Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. They were enlightened. They had a light, the light, the physical light in their presence with them, but they didn't believe. They were enlightened, but they walked away non believers. So they had an enlightenment in the mind of who Jesus is, but there wasn't an enlightenment in their soul. So enlightenment doesn't mean that you're saved. It just means that you're made aware of. For it is impossible to renew them to repentance, those who were enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift. Tasted the heavenly gift. This is a conscious experience. Consciously experiencing Jesus Christ. Some people uh, believe the, the, the gift is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 says, uh, thank God for his indescribable gift, referring to Jesus Christ. So Jesus is a gift, the indescribable gift. Some people believe it's referring to communion, and some people believe it's referring to the Holy Spirit. But the point is, they've tasted of the heavenly gift. Second Peter chapter 2. For if having escaped the world's import... This is talking about false teachers, by the way. Peter is addressing false teachers. For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ they've tasted, they are again entangled in these things and defeated. The last state is worse for them than the first. Having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge they know, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated. The last state is worse for them than the first, verse 21. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, after knowing it, to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. So notice what he says. He says, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. He didn't say they were righteous. He didn't say it would have been better for them not to have ever gotten saved. He says they know the way of righteousness. They've been enlightened. They've tasted. It would have been better for them not to have known that than after knowing to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. So these false teachers were enlightened. They tasted the gift of Jesus Christ. They were teaching the word of God falsely, but in order for them to teach something, they had to know something. So they were exposed to the word of God. They tasted, they tasted the heavenly gift. They became companions with the Holy Spirit companions with the Holy Spirit, having an association with the Holy Spirit, experiencing the Spirit's power, his workings, his miracles. That's what he's talking about. Some, some, some translations say share in the Holy Spirit. The, never, the, the, the Bible never refers to believers as sharing in the Holy Spirit or companions. It says the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. Believers are led by the Holy Spirit. It's more than just an experience with us. It's more than that. OK, um, but these people, it's like people when they come to church and, 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 and they see what God is doing, whether it's in church or wherever. You can experience the Holy Spirit moving amongst God's people and never take part in it. And we, we've all know, we've all been in church, we've seen that happen. People, you know, you see what God is doing and and they still walk out unchanged. They, because they were, they're not filled, they just share. share. Acts chapter 2, there were Jews living in Jerusalem. This is the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, uh, the birth of the church. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, all these, we hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. The magnificent acts of God in our own languages. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? Verse 13, but some sneered and said, they're full of new wine. Now here you have the Spirit of God moving. They see this, they hear this, this Holy Spirit active in their presence. Some said, "Okay, what's going on here? We've never seen this before. What do we do with this? Others mocked and said, these just a bunch of drunk folk. They just drunk at nine in the morning. That's all this is. They're mocking, but they're experiencing the presence of God. But instead of believing and saying, what must I do? They just mock. And we know people like that who mock at us. At how we worship sometimes, especially in certain settings, in Pentecostal settings. They mock at that. They laugh. Sometimes right in the middle of the service, they're mocking and laughing. Experiencing the Spirit of God or seeing the Spirit of God in operation. But mocking because they're not believers. They're just just sharing it. Experiencing the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen uh, giving his his historical speech to to Jews. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, so do you. He said, you all always resisting the Spirit of God, just like your ancestors did in the Old Testament. The Old Testament saints did the same thing. They experienced so many miracles from God. But not all of them were believers. Most of them weren't. He says, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. So it's possible to resist the Holy Spirit. Be in the midst and resist. Before I got saved, I was going to church. Um, A friend would invite me to church and I would go. And we would have, you know, church would have quote unquote altar calls. And I hated that time of service. I hated it. Because I knew what was expected and the Spirit of God, I understand now, it was the Spirit of God prompting me, pulling on me, tugging on my heart, and I resisted. I said, No, I'm not going down there. No, I resisted for about a month or so. Every time I went, I would keep going back, but every time they said, You know, okay, time for all to call, hold hands, I was like, Oh Lord, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I hated because I was resisting. God was pulling on me, Eddie, you know, and the thing was, the funny thing is, I was praying to God (laughs) to answer some stuff, and he was trying to answer, but I was like, okay, no, but I do need you to, you know, (laughs) I ain't ain't, going to surrender, but I would like for you to do this, that, or the other. I was resisting the Holy Spirit, now God ultimately won, as you can see. (laughs) But it's as possible, he says, you always, he said, you always resist always. But just like your ancestors, your great grandma and them, they did the same thing. In the midst of the move of God, wherever that may be, but resisting. Companions with the Holy Spirit, verse five, tasted God's good word, tasted God's good word. And by the way, when you think about these, all of these terms, Judas is a prime example of somebody who was enlightened, who tasted, who shared in the Holy Spirit, and all this other stuff we're going to talk about. But Judas, well, what happened to Judas? He experienced all of it in the presence of the Son of God himself for three years. Enlightened like nobody else. In the inner circle, 12 Chosen. Tasted God's good word. They heard the word, they experienced it, they was inside, they heard the gospel week after week, was there. But they didn't, tasting doesn't actually equal acceptance. Taste doesn't mean digest. I can taste something, you can give me something to taste, and I take and I spit it out right away because I don't like how it tastes. I can even chew on it for a minute, but never swallow. Because I don't like it. So I spit it out. But I did taste. I did taste. I just didn't like what I tasted. So some people come, they taste the Word of God. They hear the gospel. I don't believe that. I don't, who believes that stuff? They taste, tasted the Word of God. Actually, it's long. I'm going to be quick. <laughs> but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. He told everybody, I'm it. I'm your man. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. Everybody, poor, middle class, everybody paid attention to this dude. And they would say, this man is the power of God that is called great. They blamed it on God, said this man from God. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, when they heard the gospel, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Simon said, "Okay, I'll take that, too. Yeah, he even believed. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Simon was amazed. Before, they were amazed at him. Now, after him seeing Philip and all of them work, they like, he was amazed. He was like, wait, I ain't never seen none of this. I'm a sorcerer. I've never seen this. He was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles hands, he offered them money. You hear that? After he's seen the power, what they can do, he ain't ever did that. He said, oh, well, wait a minute. Give me some. How much you want? What you need? I want to be able to do that. When he saw that, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also. I ain't got this power. Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. He said, you ain't, "You ain't even saved. You need to repent." But the Bible says he believed. He heard the gospel. He tasted. It. He saw the power of the Holy Spirit and wanted it. But Peter said, "Your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, I love." It, he said, "If possible." God might not even do it. <laughs> he said, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Wow. What you want somebody to say? You are in the bond of bitterness. You are, you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Wow. But the Bible says he believed. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. (laughs) He said, please pray that this doesn't happen. But my point is, he tasted, he heard the gospel, he experienced the spirit of God, but he he was never saved. Got baptized. But his heart. See, just because you say, I believe with your mouth, doesn't mean it's here. It never reached his heart. He just liked what he saw. Never got saved. This is one of Jesus' parables in Matthew chapter 13. You then listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears a word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it. When anyone tastes the good word of God, when they hear about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. Verse 20. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. They hear the word, they're like, man, that's good, I like that. Yes, give me Jesus. Immediately receive it with joy. They taste. Immediately receive it with joy. Verse 21. Yet, he has no root in himself, but is short-lived. He tasted, but it was never digested. It was, never took root. Never took root. And I think we've all seen people like that. We know people like that. I used to be on what was my, in my old church was called a follow-up ministry, where when people come down to give their life to Christ, blah, blah, you, know, you, you are assigned to them you know, to help them along with their walk. And, and you would call them and you know, encourage them, pray with them, all, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know. But everybody who came down there at the altar that I got hooked up with weren't saved. And I knew, I knew some of them. I knew after one call. I'm like, okay, he, he ain't saved. But they tasted. They even responded. But they, it never, never took root. Some people came. Because people come to God for all kinds of different reasons. Some people come for all kinds of different reasons. They come because they're in trouble, they got a report from the doctor, their girlfriend put them out, and said, "You need. if you don't come to church with me tomorrow, I'm putting you out, so they come. I know of situations like that. <laughs> they come because they got a court hearing the next day, and so they think if they come and do all of this stuff, then God will, you know, cancel my court hearing. <laughs> God will, you know, they come for various reasons. But it never takes root. It never takes root. Because these are people that says, it never took root, and so therefore, they were short-lived. They don't come back, don't know, you never see them again. There's so many people I never saw again. They didn't come back the next Sunday. They just they never took root. They just came for the wrong reason. But they tasted the good word of God. When pressure or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he stumbles. When they get pressured, however that may come, or persecution, you know, oh, you're one of them holy rollers now, huh? Hmm. Persecution. Are you a Christian? How can you be a Christian? I don't know how anybody with a brain can be a Christian. That's so stupid. And so when that comes, you know, you, 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 you stumble because of the word. You believe God wrote that? immediately he stumbles because it never took root. Verse 22. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the seduction of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. They receive the word, they take it, but the worries of this, of this age. They worry about everything. They think that when they get saved, all their problems are going to be solved. All the worry is going to be over because, you know, I got Jesus now. But when the worries of the age and the seduction of wealth, wow, another translation says, the deceitfulness of riches, money can seduce you. The seduction of wealth. They leave Jesus for the Benjamins. You know, yeah, yeah, I love God, but, you know, if I don't take this opportunity to make all this money, you know, Jesus, hold on a minute, I'll be back. Now, I need to... The seduction of wealth choke the word. It just chokes it right out of them. And it becomes unfruitful. They bear no fruit at all, which is evidence that they are not saved. Unfruitful. Verse 23, But the one sown on the good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word, who does bear fruit and yield some, her, some hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. When you're a believer, you are going to bear some fruit. There's going to be some evidence of your salvation. Now, we all in different places. Some are more mature than others. Some are going to produce more evidence than others. But you're going to produce... Somebody Somebody need to say, what well, something's different about you. You used to do this, but why don't you anymore? There's going to be some evidence of your salvation. Some fruit somewhere. Hundred, sixty, thirty. Some kind of result. But it's possible to taste the word of God and not be saved. They taste the good word and the powers of the coming age. What's that talking about? It's talking about the miracle powers of the Holy Spirit which will reach its climax in a future kingdom. So they saw evidence of what was coming. They saw it in the wilderness, in the Old Testament. They saw it in Jesus' ministry, and they saw it with the apostles. They saw the miracle-working power of God and what is to come in the future kingdom, but they still were not believers. Hebrews 2, for if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received the just punishment, that's just from the, the, the Old Testament, the, 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 uh, the law in the Old Testament. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If you were uh, 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 chastised for just um, uh, the, 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 um, the message spoken through angels was legally binding. And every transgression and disobedient received the just punishment. If you were punished for that, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard it. At the same time... God also testified by signs and wonders, there it is again, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Verse 5, for he has not subjected to angels the world to come, there it is, the world to come, that we are talking about. He said, we're talking about a future kingdom. He said, but he didn't subject that to angels. But they've seen the powers of the age to come in the wilderness and in Jesus' ministry, and in the apostles' ministry. But they were still not believers. They experienced all of that. They tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away. Who have fallen away. The fall away is a lapse from uprightness. It's a fall from adherence to realities and facts of the faith. They leave what they've been enlightened with and what they've tasted. They fall away from uprightness of the faith. Galatians 1, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. But he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him. Now, the Galatians hadn't completely turned away, but Paul is warning them, I'm amazed that you're turning away from this, from everything that you've been enlightened with and tasted. He said, I'm amazed that you're allowing somebody to come in so easily and snatch that away from you. He said there's not another gospel, but what they want to do is change the good news. But he said, I'm amazed that just so easily and don't, we we got to be careful we're not, we're not so easily persuaded by by non-believers and skeptics. So easily persuaded by them and some of them are very intelligent. And they sound very and they sound like they make good arguments. And so we have to be careful that we're not easily persuaded because of uh, how, how well they speak and because they got doctor in front of their name or PhD in front of their name. But this is the living word of God. And we can't be deterred from this just because of how intelligent somebody sounds. Be careful that this word we're hearing every day is taking root in us taken root in us. Okay. The first part of this. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who do all of these things. What's he mean? It's impossible to renew them to repentance. Okay. Now we're going to get into some deep stuff here. Hebrews chapter 10 starting at verse 26. For if we Deliberately sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. If anyone disregards Moses law, he dies without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the son of God regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and insulted the spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay. For if we deliberately sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, if we apostatize and turn away from the truth, we've heard the gospel, we've been enlightened. We've tasted a good word. If we deliberately... Now, he's, talking to, he's not talking about committing a sin, which every Christian can do. He says, if we deliberately sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, it's talking about a voluntary going back to your old lifestyle of sinning. If you do that, he says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. And we read earlier that believers are not going to be judged. This is talking about eternal judgment. Okay? But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. The adversaries. Believers are not adversaries. We have an adversary. But we are not called adversaries in the Bible. We are called sons of God. We are called friends of God. We are not adversaries. So if we deliberately sin, and the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, For it is impossible for anyone who is born of God to live habitually in sin. 1 John chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, the Bible says, he cannot sin. He that is born of God cannot habitually sin. And it says, why? Because the seed of God abides in him. He cannot do this. Because the seed of God abides in him. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So, it's a warning. If we deliberately sin after receiving... Remember, he's talking to three groups of people here. For if we deliberately sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no, long, no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury about to consume the adversaries. If anyone disregards Moses' law, he dies without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Again, Moses' law brought punishment. How much worse punishment? How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God regarded as profane or ordinary, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and insulted the spirit of grace. Now, um, some people believe um, uh, when it says he was sanctified, it's referring to Jesus Christ being sanctified. Okay, some scholars believe that's what it's talking about. When he, uh, trampled on the Son of God, regardless of the blood of the covenant, by which he, Jesus Christ, was sanctified and assaulted the Spirit of grace. Others believe it's talking about um, uh, uh, professing believers who are sanctified in the sense of they're part of the community of God, the believers, who come to church, and they're not really saved, but they, they come to our fellowships, they come to all of our outreaches, they're not really saved, but they're part of everything that we do. So they've been sanctified in that sense. That's one interpretation of this verse, too. So, regardless of where you land, the point is, how much worse punishment do you think he will deserve who was trampled on the Son of God, regarded as profane, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and insulted the Spirit of grace? That doesn't sound like a believer to me. Insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know the one who has said, vengeance belongs to me, I will pay. God said, I'll deal with them. I'm going to pay them back. And again, the Lord will judge his people. If if we get judged by our sin, you know the non-believer is going to be judged for his. Now, we're not judged ultimately in hell, but there are consequences to our sin. When we sin, there's judgment. There's consequences to come with that. Okay? It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All right. I'm moving quickly, I know. Remember the earlier days after when you had been enlightened. Again, enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And at other times, you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathize with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. Verse 35, so don't throw away your confidence. That warning again. Okay, you've experienced all of this as part of the, the believing community. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. There's a reward coming if you, if you stick with it. There's a reward for this. God's gonna reward you. Don't throw away your confidence. Those of you who are on the fence or those who are undecided, or even believers, don't throw away your confidence. There's a, there's a reward coming. For you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you, you will receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. What's he talking about here? And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. What's he, what's he saying here? For yet in a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. He's, he's quoting an Old Testament scripture in the book of Isaiah. This is God talking to his people. Go, my people, enter your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until the wrath has passed. That reminds me of uh, of, of the the blood on the doorpost in the book of Exodus. He told them, okay, put some blood on the doorpost while I bring judgment on the people. Hide for a little while until the wrath has passed. For look, the Lord is coming from from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. We're not punished for our iniquity. Jesus took our punishment. For the Lord is coming from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will reveal the bloodshed on it and will no longer conceal her slain. So he's referring back to that verse uh, when, he, when he's talking about this. When he says, for yet in a little while the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. Those who are real believers, we walk by faith and not by sight. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But contrast, verse 39, we are not those who draw back. You see, he's making a distinction here. We are not those who draw back and are destroyed. That word destroyed means perish, or it means utterly destroyed. G, uh, Judas is known is, as the son of destruction, the son of perdition. Same word. The man of sin, in Second, second Thessalonians, the man of sin is, learned, is, is known as the man of, 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 of lawlessness, of destruction, the son of destruction. He says, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we... Role believers are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and obtain life, that eternal life. We are the ones who obtain life. We don't draw back. We don't draw back. Verse 6. And who have fallen away because... Why is it impossible to renew them to repentance? Because to their own harm... They are re-crucifying the Son of God. They're putting Jesus back on the cross saying, this is where you belong. They put him back on the cross. They re-crucify him. And there's no other way. He said it's impossible to renew them again because once you reject Jesus, there's no other means of salvation for you. That's why I said it's impossible to renew them to repentance again because outside of Jesus, there is no other way to be saved. So if you've done this, if if you go back to the old, to the, Speaking to the Jews who were thinking about going back to the Old Testament sacrificial system, if you go back, there is no other way for you to be saved. You can't be saved through the blood of, the, the blood of bulls and goats. Hebrews talks about that in Hebrews 7. He said, if you do that, there's no other way for you to be saved. It's impossible to save, to, for you to be uh, uh, come to repentance. Because through their own harm, they re-crucify the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. They hold him up to a public, shameful display. It's an attitude of hostility they have towards Jesus. They, they, they have the same attitude as the ones who, who crucified Jesus on the cross. They go join them. They re-crucify him and hold him up to contempt, to public shame. See, sometimes we can think that just because believers, some, not believers, I'm sorry, some people think that, okay, well, um, I may not accept the gospel, but I still believe. I just believe a different system. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Apostasy is about what you leave, not where you go when you leave. Apostasy is about what you leave, leaving the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the payment of your sins. That's what apostasy is. So apostasy is about what you leave, not where you go when you leave. You can say, I left that, but I'm going over here to Islam. I'm going over here to Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm going over here to, or even an atheist. I'm, going, I'm just going to a different system of belief. You can say, I still believe in God. It's just a different system. It's all the same. No, 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 uh-uh, uh-uh. It's very important what you leave. See, I don't care where you go when you leave. John MacArthur, in his commentary, says this. It is dangerously self-deceptive for a person to think that by staying on the sidelines, by holding off, deciding what to do with Jesus, quote-unquote, by thinking himself tolerant of the gospel simply because he does not outwardly oppose it, that he is safe. People say, you know, I have no problem with Christianity. You know, I think it's good for you. If you want to do that, that's great. Jesus was a great teacher. You know, that's all good. He was really good. I'm glad he was here. He was a great teacher. You think that because you're not uh, um, openly offensive that you're okay. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. The longer one stays on the edge, the more he leans toward the old life. If you're on the fence, you're going to eventually lean towards your old life. Your sinful nature is going to be pulling on you to go the other way if you haven't decided. One day I'm going to get saved. One day. I know the church is there. I'll, get there. I'll get there pretty soon. One day. One day. And you die one day. The longer one stays on the edge, the more he leans toward the old self. Staying there too long inevitably results in falling away from the gospel forever. It may not be, and often is not, a conscious decision against Christ. Like I said, it's not even a decision against Christ, a conscious decision. That may not even be what you're doing. But it is a decision, and it is against Christ. So the fact that you're not making a decision, you've made a decision. And your decision is against Christ. When a person goes away from him in full light, he places him on the cross again in his own heart. You may not verbally say that, but you place him on the cross in your heart. And he puts himself forever out of the Lord's reach. How terribly serious it is to reject Jesus Christ. So you do all of this. You hold him up to contempt. Verse 7 in Hebrews chapter 6 For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is, it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So he's giving an agricultural example here. For land that has drunk the rain that, has fall, that often falls on it, for your heart, that has heard, been enlightened, and tasted, and it produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is, receives a blessing from God. If you've tasted, you receive it, you receive Jesus Christ. You're not just enlightened, but you said, You know what? I'm gonna take this, I'm gonna repent, receive Jesus Christ. He said, You receive a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, that same rain that falls on that same ground, but that ground bears thorns and thistles. You reject it. It's worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned up. He's given an agricultural example of our heart and our receptivity of the word of God in the gospel. Verse 9, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, because he's making distinction again to me, he says, Though we're talking like this about enlightenment, and, 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 and tasting and all of that, though we're talking like this, yet in your case, real believers, in your case, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Did you hear that? He said, we're sure better things of you, things that belong to salvation. Those who are thinking about going back to the Old Testament system? Those who are on the fence and haven't made a decision—these are warning verses for them. See, these, God, God is using the verses as a means to uh, for, for believers to persevere in faith. It's a means for us. There's a warning for some, but it's a means for us as real believers to continue on. It's not a threat to us. It's a means for us to persevere in faith, but a warning to those who haven't made a decision. of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Okay, imitate those who who through their faith and patience inherit the promise. Those of you who are undecided, be imitators of those who have decided. So, the answer to the question, does Hebrews 6 teach that we can lose our salvation? No, it does not. Is it a warning? Uh, A means for us to keep going forward? Yes, yes. Is it a warning to non-believers, professed believers? Yes, it is. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But be assured tonight, church, we are secure. That's why I gave you those verses ahead of time. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You can't unseal yourself. God has has a grip on you. See, we are not holding his hand. He's holding ours. Jesus said, nobody can snatch me out of his hand. He didn't say, you can't let go. John MacArthur said, if I can lose my salvation, I would every day. But, thank God, as we get ready to take communion, thank God we are secure. This is not an excuse to go sin. And no, no. If we... You cannot, if you go out and continue in sin, like that verse says, that's evidence that you are not saved. First John chapter 2 says, they went out from us as evidence that they were not part of us. First John chapter 2, verse 19. If they went out from us, it's proof and evidence that they were never part of us. That's what he says. So if you go out and act a fool, now listen, like I said, we all sin, commit sin. Committing a sin, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The Bible says in First John, We have an advocate with the Father. Listen, church. We have an advocate Amen. with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have a go-between. We have, we have a lawyer. When I mess up, do something stupid, which I'm more than willing to do a lot of times. And so are you. <laughs> Thank God for the advocate. And I hate, I hate when I disappoint my God. I hate it. Non-believers don't feel like that. They say, this is just who I am. I just, this is just what I do. I'm just doing me. Okay, all right. As a believer, that's never your attitude. Sin breaks not only God's heart, it ought to break our heart, which is evidence of the Spirit of God indwelling me, convicted me of sin, which is what its job is. So I thank God for that. But um, I want to be holy in all manner of behavior, like the Bible says. Our attitude is not, let me see how close I can get to the edge without going over. That's not the attitude of a believer. Okay, sin's over there. Okay, let me see how close I can get and still be saved. You know, I want to taste a little bit of it. No, uh uh-uh, uh, no. Just going over, just going, quick playing, just going over. That's not, I want to I see how far away from sin I can get before Jesus comes. That's my, that's how it'll be our attitude as believers. We hate sin. So no, we cannot lose our salvation. We are secure.